Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Well, as you know, today we celebrate uh, the birthday of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And uh, we know that the Blessed Virgin, the Mother of God, is so central in the mystery of the Incarnation that the Church realizes that the Incarnation could never have happened without her. Couldn't even have happened without her. So we celebrate, of course, several feasts, numerous feasts, like the Mother of God, uh, the Immaculate Conception, her Assumption, her Coronation, all things that have to do with her role, but today is just the most fundamental fact that she was born, her birthday. She was born because God had chosen her from all eternity to play that role in the history of redemption. So it's not so much her qualities, what she did, what she said, what she sang, all of which, of course, appear so readily in the Gospel, but just that, that God brought her into the world, and that alone is worth celebrating. That alone is both worth celebrating, but worth meditating on and stopping and doing our prayer on. And, and the fact that we simply honor her because we love her, we want to celebrate her birthday, just like we celebrate the birthday of anyone, we're, we're saying, well, you're in this world, you exist, and that is a good thing. And you don't exist by chance, you don't exist uh, for, for some happenstance, you exist because in some way you're part of the mystery of God's plan. And it was Andrew of Crete, one of the fathers of the church, who said that on this day, God made his own temple. God made his own temple. He says, this in fact, the day, this is in fact the day on which the creator of the world constructed his temple. Today is the day on which by a stupendous project of a creature becomes the preferred dwelling of the Creator. Creature becomes the preferred dwelling place of the Creator. And we will say in the liturgy and during the Mass, let us celebrate with joy the birth of the Virgin Mary, of whom was born the Son of Justice. Her birth constitutes the hope and the light of salvation for the whole world. Her image is light for the whole Christian people. Let us think that we can celebrate, we can meditate, we can pray about something as simple as our own existence, and in this case, our Blessed Mother's existence, because 
Existence itself is good and comes and fits into the wider plan of salvation, of redemption, of purposefulness, of meaningfulness. And the, her existence is there because she comes into existence to give herself, to be that dwelling place. It's important now when we are in a time when the sense of meaning is fragile for many people. And uh, the sense of purpose is fragile. For many, the sense of purpose is some form of self-fulfillment, some form of uh, self-realization, that they want to do something somehow that will make them happy or successful. or Self-realization in some way. And, uh, and we know that we come to the work, we come to our vocation, really, ultimately, to really give of ourselves to live for others. And as we live in the work now, we think, God, you brought me into the world for this. I exist for this. We didn't just make a, a choice here of something that might be interesting, that might be an exciting way of life. Let's try to see really the broader picture and keep the broader picture always in our mind's eye, you could say. This is what our father says from 1966 on this feast day. He says, today we celebrate the birthday of the Blessed Virgin. It is good, a good day to live our Marian piety in a natural way without doing anything strange. The birthday of someone in your family comes up, you wish them happy birthday, right? You try to show them greater affection, don't you? Well, let's begin by doing so. Wish the Mother of God, who is also our Mother, happy birthday. And Our Lady, who is in heaven, body and soul, will joyfully welcome our signs of affection. Happy birthday, we will say. And the, the Church has long wished to express their affection, the affection to the Mother of God. She loved Christ and then loved her mother, his mother rather, because he came into the world from this pure womb, from her body. He took flesh from her. The Church immediately made the connection that we have to honor the Blessed Virgin. And so it's natural that <clears throat> the, as a feast day, it's long been considered, like from remote times, significant. Certainly, it was celebrated in the liturgy, <clears throat> because the liturgy is precisely the continuous presence of Christ on earth. The liturgy continues the mediation of Christ on earth in his mystical body through the church. That the liturgy, as we will have in the Mass today, is the real, living, active, and sanctifying presence of Christ on this earth. And, and we know that the Lord accomplished, accomplished the redemption with his death on the cross, his total gift, his love. And, and in, in a very real way, as Cardinal Ratzinger used to say before he was Pope, that the Kingdom of Heaven is still under construction still being built, still building up here, precisely 
or in a large part through the liturgy. The realization through the prayers of the liturgy, the acts of worship of the church. And in that liturgy, the church, right from the start, began to honor our Blessed Mother. There was a basilica in Palestine that was dedicated to Saint Anne. So, I mean, if, they, if it was dedicated to Saint Anne, it was clear that it was in view of the Blessed Virgin. And then as early as the 6th century, there was a feast commemorating the birthday of Our Lady in uh, Syria, then later on in Jerusalem. We know that the feast of Our Lady was celebrated in Rome in the 7th century. Pope Sergius I in the 7th century prescribed a litany to be recited for this feast day. So there was a feast already then, in, at least in Rome. Because, you know, normally the church celebrates the Dies Natalis, the day when which a saint dies and then goes into heaven. But Mary was assumed, so well, we already celebrate her assumption in, her, in, in a certain sense. Her dies natalis is the day in which she was assumed. Just like John the Baptist, we celebrate his birthday, we celebrate his death. He gets two, two, two <coughs> celebrations. Not so much because of their qualities or they did something great, but more because both John the Baptist and Our Lady because of their place in the history of salvation. In other words, without the birth of Mary, the birthday of our Mary, we would not really, well, we wouldn't have a Savior. We wouldn't have a dwelling place for the Savior to be born and incarnate. Without John the Baptist, he would not have prepared the way. That was a very fundamental role. In some way, without John the Baptist, we can't see how our Lord could have really have been properly, let's say, presented. And both John the Baptist and Mary, both of their lives lie at the confluence of the two Testaments. Bringing the end, the stage of expectation in the Old Testament, the promises, and beginning the inauguration of the New Times times of grace and salvation in Jesus Christ. Really, John the Baptist is right there on the edge. He belongs in part to the Old Testament, like a prophet of the Old, promising something coming, but he's right there. And he also, of course, sees the, the actual Jesus. And Our Lady, too. Lumen Gentium says, Mary, the daughter of Zion, and ideal personification of Israel, is the last and most worthy representative of the people of the Old Covenant. But at the same time, she is the hope and dawn of the whole world. With her, the elevated daughter of Zion, after long expectation of the promises, the times are fulfilled and a new economy is established. That's why it's, she's so all-encompassing. She belongs to both worlds. She's the perfect example of the Old Covenant, 
of the, or representative of the old covenant, but at the same time, she's the hope and dawn of the new. So today, let us take seriously her celebration, turn her gaze, our, our gaze towards her. We, we will think about her, we will look at her, we will get peace when we look at images of Our Lady. We have an image in our room, we have an image in the living room, we have so many places, we have pictures. I mean, we have no, no dearth of pictures of Our Lady. And let us think about her, how she was chosen, and she fell in love with God, she made a promise of some kind to remain a virgin because she wanted to be more available. Already God had stirred this in her heart when she was very young. Little did she know that she would be the mother of God, but she, she did want to speed up the coming of the Messiah. And for her, it was the sacrifice of offering her virginity. Then, but of course, but, but we're, we're looking at her, the fact that she was born now. And that puts us back, of course, to, to St. Anne, whom we know nothing about, know nothing about St. Anne. But from St. Anne was born the Blessed Virgin Mary. There's a very famous painting called The Nativity of the Virgin from the 14th century. I think it's from 1350s or so, by Pietro Lorenzetti. He was known for his famous frescoes in Assisi and a number of other places in Italy. The beautiful murals uh, of the life of Our Lady and, uh, and uh, the crucifixion. They're just very, very tender and touching frescoes. But he also did a very famous triptych on the birth of, our, of Mary in the Basilica of Siena. Because the, that basilica was dedicated to Our Lady. And there's a whole series there, too, on the life of Our Lady. It's packed with all kinds of beautiful images. But these are more uh, altar pieces. And there's a famous triptych there called the Triptych of the Birth of Our Lady, which is, well, as you know, a triptych that can be folded and closed. And it has a kind of Trinitarian structure. And this is one of his, I think it's his last work. It's dense in color. It's beautifully saturated. And, uh, and it is, is very um, uh, vivid in its way of representing a, a, uh, a common household scene. And the scene shows Saint Anne, who is larger than the other characters, and she is sitting on a bed, or lying rather, on a bed. And the bed is perfectly made, all the sheets are I mean, there's not a fold out of place. And she's lying there, and she's pointing down below her, and below her are these two midwives who are bathing the child Mary. It's very similar to some of the representations of the birth of Jesus, where he too is sometimes shown being bathed by these midwives. And she is pointing down, and she is surrounded on the wall with, um, it's like almost, it's not wallpaper, but it's these white sheets that uh, kind of indicate Mary's, uh, Mary's immaculate conception. And that's the central 
panel, and there's other women there as well. And then on over, if you look on the, uh, looking, looking at it on the left panel, there are, there's another room there, it's kind of like a side room, like it's like a different room in the house, and there you see one figure, an old, slightly elderly man with a beard, and there's a long, young, little youngster going over and whispering something in his ear. And next to that, there's another guy with an odd black beard, and he's got an orange coat, and he's looking at the viewer. So the one fellow is, no doubt, St. Joachim, who's receiving the news that his wife has just given birth, and it's all good, the birth has gone well, and he's being congratulated. And next to him is this other figure with this funny black beard and an orange cloak, and he's looking at the viewer. That's the donor. That's the guy who paid for the whole piece. And he's looking at us, and by looking at him, we look into the, into the painting. And uh, there is above the entire scene, there's a beautiful vaulted ceiling with stars, and um, Anne is surrounded with all that white fabric. And then on the other side, on the other panel, there is a, a series of ladies. There's some ladies holding uh, some, some towels and just ready to receive the little child and dry her off uh, as she comes out of her bath and put her in swaddling clothes. And it's, it's really a, a beautiful, beautiful painting. And it's, I counted about 10 people in the entire painting. And um, it's, uh, it's extremely like a domestic setting. But what was original at that time when this painting was done was that it, it, um, it, it was just very, very um, uh, sort of, how can I say, it, it showed, it was very spatially accurate, you could say, unlike many paintings of that time. There's real perspective in it. And what you think of is an ordinary domestic home. People happy at the birth of a child. It's the ordinary lives of people right there. A domestic setting. In other words, Our Lady came into the world in a normal way. She was in a normal household. What joy came when she was born. And perhaps one of the extraordinary qualities of the birth of the Virgin is, is precisely this, this illusion that this painting gives of, of, you could say, spatial illusion. That this is a real interior space. People hadn't seen that before. For them, seeing a fresco was flat and, and uh, decorative, no doubt, beautiful, but, but always flat. But now he allows you in to the fresco. This was, this was unique. It was unheard of. But what was beautiful is that we are invited to enter into this domestic setting of joy. So we too here have to live a kind of domestic setting of joy at the birth of our mother. Some people, in some families, they make a cake today on the birthday of our mother. They make a white cake, white, white icing, to honor the Blessed Virgin Mary. With the children, they put a little statue of Our Lady. But, you know, our father says, well, let's not do anything strange. Let's just, let's just uh, rejoice, right? 
and, uh, and pray perhaps a little bit especially to Our Lady. But we too, maybe we can take care of today in a special way of family life more. Uh, it'll spur us on to give thanks for the family life we have here in the center. Maybe we don't always participate as actively. We, we can ask ourselves, how actively do I really participate in the, you could say that, the domestic life of the center, the ordinary life of the center? Do I listen? Am I aware of the concerns or the struggles of the, of the residents, of their studies? Do I talk to them and uh, waste a bit of time with them? The guys uh, are, are touched by our interest in their ideas. When we show interest, what do you think about this? In sports, in movies, in philosophy? Certainly, it's, it's beautiful to see that we can talk about all kinds of subjects without entering into any kind of hostility or, or antagonism because we differ or something like that. We could differ, but there won't be any uh, upheaval. We can ask, have I really been responsible or felt responsible for the joy, for the peace that has to reign in this center, for the very interesting nature of our get-togethers, that people find them interesting, fascinating, attractive? Do I really listen? Do I contribute? Same at meals. Very often people comment how good the meals are and how they like the food and, and uh, but that's not the only thing that makes the, the meals good. The meals are good because we have conversations, because we pass what people pass, you know, pass the food. I don't know, change, change tables so to make sure that everybody, that nobody is left alone. All that happens, as our father used to say, under the mantle of Our Lady, under the mantle of Our Lady. She's been a good mother, he said, comforting us, smiling at us, helping us in the difficult moments of the blessed battle to bring forward this army of apostles in the world. I like the image that he used of the mantle of Our Lady, the image of, the, of all these people huddled under the mantle that was comforting to many Christians throughout uh, the ages. For some, it looked like almost a powerful act, the act of Our Lady holding people under her mantle as though it were an act of authority or an act of, uh, I don't know, dominion or control. But really, she's standing while others are kneeling, kneeling. she's protecting, it's her motherliness. And we imagine her now watching over our soul, the infinite value of a soul in grace. She, she watches over that. And, and today we, we find a way to just to, to greet her. Maybe, maybe just that, the greetings, uh, we know, the greetings uh, at the images of our lady. Let's ask her now 
And as we finish our prayer, there's about five minutes left in the prayer. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.